The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. At times, it seems like when you work on your professional career, your personal life seems to fall behind. Then, when you work on improving your personal obligations, the professional part of your life begins to suffer. Is there any way to keep them both humming along at a successful pace? Welcome to Master Your Life with Leah Mattinson. We'll take the guesswork out of which part of you is more important and show you the success stories of others that can help you realize that you can manage it all. Now, here is your host, Leah Mattinson. Welcome to Master Your Life, the radio show that gives you inspiration, insight, and intelligence Thank you for joining us and helping us and help you navigating this thing we call life. Today we're in for a very special treat. I'm Dr. Howard Rankin and my co-host is Leah Mattinson. Hi, Leah. Hi, Howard. How are you today? Good, good. And I'm especially looking forward to this because we're going to be talking about your incredible journey uh, and it's alchemy. I like to think of it as alchemy. Uh, if anyone has, you know how to turn hardships into blessings. That's going to be the theme, really, of our, our series, but the show today as we talk about you and your journey. So, um, again, thank you for joining us. Uh, please stay tuned because you will be riveted by what you hear about Leah's journey. So, Leah. Take it away. Tell us about where it all began and your early life, et cetera, et cetera. Wonderful. Well, thank you, Howard. I'm, I'm hoping that it's riveting. <laughs> so uh, I was born and raised in a, in a small town, on a, a small town being 1,200 people, which uh, is uh, very small in relation to a lot of the cities in the States and even here in Canada. And uh, I was born uh, to... Um, um, husband and wife team that are uh, were on the farm for over fifty years, but my was I was lucky. My mom also worked off the farm at the local hospital as a combined lab and X-ray tech for about forty four years, and so I had this really cool upbringing of uh, seeing both sides of kind of the parenting mix. Um, my dad was home and an entrepreneur. My mom worked every single day, and it, the job she did required lots of confidentiality and and uh, integrity and again small town you you know if you did things that were offside everyone knew quick <laughs> so so part of the growing up was learning from both of them uh hard work um and being creative and being entrepreneurial and uh, i just remember as a young girl my mom would come home from working all day and she was five foot nothing just this little tiny thing and she would strap on her work boots and she would climb onto any piece of farm equipment or go feed any single animal, take care of livestock, uh, cook meals, um, anything that needed to be done, she did it. And she was not a farm girl. She was actually um, born and raised in a town. So she just had this willing um, heart or willing spirit to make things 
100%, always awesome. And my dad was of the same mind. So they just adored each other. And I had this really great um, um, memories of, of them and family time together and uh, being involved in many things in the community, both um, uh, not-for-profit sorts of stuff like, you know, brownies in the gymnastics club and, and learning good um, character uh, between the ages of zero and eight, we you know had lots of uh, that's when that's form for a child. So I had an absolutely exemplary uh, life. I have an older brother and a younger sister, so I also had middle child syndrome. No, <laughs> whatever okay. that means. If it's a syndrome, I have it. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I, I also had feedback from um, people in my world that said when I was behaving well or not behaving all that well. And um, I just uh, was really, really blessed to have had that kind of upbringing. And so when I was 18, I had gone to the same school from zero to 18 and graduated with the same kids that I had gone to school, you know, right from, right from the get-go. For the most part, our, our world didn't change very much. Not many kids came and went um, uh, from our community. There wasn't a lot of divorce. I think the first person that we had ever even heard or thought would be divorced was probably when I was in about grade seven. So that whole thing was just completely um, foreign to me. And so grew up with just a lot of certainty. And because of that, also, um, uh, I was just very self-assured in that I could really do anything that I set my mind to um, because I came from a really confident place. So at uh, you know 16, I started a gymnastics club at... Uh, 16, I was working full-time off the farm and was able to drive and, and uh, had a job I loved. And play, I played sports all the way through uh, junior high and high school. And all those things were just a really important part of me, kind of having this identity of being hardworking and athletic and, and being able to overcome controversy by figuring out stuff from a coaching perspective, I guess. Of if I had trouble with something, I could break it down and fix it. Yeah, and that's, you know, those are amazing life skills to learn um, at that age, because uh, the earlier you learn them, the better. Um, you obviously worked a lot on the farm when you were young. Was that right? I did. Yes, I did. <laughs> Lots of chicken chores in freezing cold, you know, minus 30 weather and... <laughs> And, uh, yeah, that was, there's lots of, anyone who comes from a farm background that had animals or livestock would appreciate that there's lots of really funny things that happen uh, on a farm. And we also had uh, chores for, you know, just mowing six acres of grass. And uh, so that, of course, would have started out with a little hand mower. And as my parents um, kind of grew the farm, we would have, you know, graduated to driving some sort of farm equipment to actually um, doing the grass and, are mowing the grass, but yeah, we took care of uh, many different animals. So we had um, horses and chickens. So you learn compassion for animals. We had lots of uh, dogs and cats and all those good kinds of things, and we were expected to help. So um, my mom had a great, um, my mom had a really great way of getting us to be engaged in it, or me anyway, is that she would make a list on the table every day of what we could do and how much we could earn by doing it. So uh, the whole, you know, getting paid twenty five cents for you know, five rows of peas, <laughs> I would roll out of bed and go, I am earning all that money. And my brother and sister, I'm hoping they'll sleep through it. <laughs> so I'd so, be out there <laughs> so doing that. <laughs> you were the richest of your siblings, is that I right? like to think so. <laughs> yeah, well, 
<laughs> they may call in on a later show and dispute that, however. <laughs> um, how did you do at school? Because, I mean, you've got all this stuff going on. You've got drive. You're into sports. I mean, how was school? And maybe it's different because it was a relatively small community. Well, I can, I can tell you I absolutely loved school from grade one to seven. <laughs> and I was probably the teacher's pet and really uh, adored all all things academic, and I was also an avid singer. I was involved in um, any kind of, of the school productions I sang for and loved, loved, loved it. And then grade seven hit, and as in for many people, I think the whole adolescence and travel and journey through that can be fairly difficult and challenging, and, and I was no different than anybody else in that I definitely had um, – just problems connecting with other people. And I didn't like that people were, you know, mean or bullied me or bullied other people. And so I found that instead of actually tolerating a lot of that stuff, I just drove myself more into the athletic side of things. And uh, so I didn't have a great um, close-knit bunch of girlfriends when I was going through high school, but I, was, I certainly navigated through uh, many different groups and connected myself with those groups when it was appropriate. So if it was a day that I was hanging out with the athletes, I hung out with the athletes. If it was a day I was um, going to academics, I took care of that. Although I'm pretty sure also my high school uh, English teacher would say I slept through most of English 30 because. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's face it, who didn't? Exactly. Um, exactly. <laughs> uh, so, you know, you have this, you know, tremendous basis and upbringing, you're driven, you're community-oriented. How do things go after that? Well, I think that when I left school thinking, I don't know what the heck I want to do with my life, uh, but I liked being really, really busy. And I had one teacher, my grade four teacher, Mrs. Barber, who said, you know, you'd probably be a good teacher. So I thought, all right, well, that makes sense. I'll do that route. So I applied to university for education and I was accepted and promptly um, failed in the first year because I just was completely not prepared for um, all of the distractions of university. And so I got a, I, I took that year, was I didn't take it very seriously. <laughs> and then I actually... Thank God for redemption because I, I took a little bit of time off and was reaccepted back into another university for um, a counseling designation specializing in uh, children and youth. So that led to my first professional job at the ripe old age of 22 years old as the youth counselor for the uh, rural isolated school division in Alberta. And uh, that was just an absolutely uh, magnificent place for me to be. I was able to be I'm coaching these young uh, people. And I had uh, three K-12 schools, five village schools, and a Hutterite colony that I provided services to. So it was just um, an amazing sort of blossoming of being able to use all these skills and uh, knowledge that I got from being on the farm. Now, everything is going swimmingly at this point. You've got a great career going uh, at a young age. You've got all these basic skills. You've got a fantastic outlook. Uh, And then things start to happen um, that aren't so good. Yes. And (laughs) it's like the wildly successful and the abysmal failure (laughs) right beside one another. So I I was uh, having a wonderful time in my career as the youth counselor. And and it was evolving into more and more responsibility 
and I had a great reputation in the community and had was very well connected with um, all levels of government because I was doing work in sexual abuse treatment and in um, building kind of local advisory committees and victim services units and uh, teaching second year mental health nurses uh, and all just it was fantastic mm-hmm. and then I didn't have any peer support and I burnt out within a very short period of time. I knew that things were, you know, not going particularly well. And then I I met my uh, husband at that time while I was really stressed out. And he, the reason I I, uh, was attracted to him is because he had a business idea that I thought was brilliant. And I thought, oh, I can help you. I can help you manage that. I just didn't realize that I was completely numbed out emotionally at that time. So if I had been in a proper emotional state, I would have made different decisions. Um, and anyway, so, so I'm, and again, I know I'm not alone in, in how we choose our, our partners. Uh, so we had a, you know, uh, about a five year marriage and then, uh, that was over and I learned a ton about being in business and, and about being in a for-profit business. And, uh, that was a great experience for me for sure. And then, um, I also, learned about uh, getting back on my feet and being resilient and being happy and grateful for having my now two wonderful children because <laughs> they, they were just little. Uh, right. But we struck it out on our own and, and uh, I had the support of my family, which was completely critical uh, to... And, and, sure, and I don't want to interrupt, but let's, let's yeah. talk about your family and, and specifically what happened to your father. Yeah, so during that time, um, we started to kind of be, we knew that we had Huntington's disease in our family, and Huntington's is a neurological disease that's kind of been compared to having Alzheimer's and Parkinson's and schizophrenia at the same time, just to kind of give a frame of reference. So um, we've had, my grandmother had Huntington's, it's genetic, so you can see it in your family tree. So my grandmother had it, Her some of her brothers and sisters had it. Um, so we've had family that's been hospitalized family that's committed suicide. Um, but in, in my family, my dad's symptoms were not that bad. So we didn't, he was diagnosed when, uh, with the disease at about 53 uh, years old. And so because he then was actually diagnosed with it, it was like we had this aha or I had this aha of going, all right, now that changes things for me because every child of somebody with Huntington's has a 50-50 chance of inheriting the disease. And can you explain the symptoms, perhaps, of of the disease? Sure. Yes. It's like um, uh, there's there's three kind of primary things that happen in Huntington's. First, the and the most obvious is a movement disorder, and the movement disorder looks like um, dancing or twitching, or and it's called chorea. But it's so if you see somebody with Parkinson's, they tremor. But somebody with Huntington's actually has big, grandiose movements. Uh, and they often look drunk, uh, very, very drunk sometimes. And, and so there's been definitely people who've been arrested <laughs> for being mm-hmm. drunk when right. they have not right. been. In fact, we carry cards in our wallets that say, I'm not drunk, I have Huntington's disease, <laughs> when, when that's the case. Um, the other um, area of symptoms is uh, changes in cognitive functions. So that's executive functioning, problem-solving, decision-making, impulse control, um, those things that you would need to be able to have to do work successfully or to plan your day. Uh, lack of insight uh, is another one. The, and 
And then finally is kind of the psychiatric side of the disease. So you'll see people that have uh, impulse control problems that lead to, you know, many things. Uh, So gambling, addictions, uh, drinking, um, other things that I shall not mention right now, but it's not good. <laughs> and, then, right, right. And, and so there is no cure for the disease. Uh, there is symptom management, but often with medication, it can actually make other symptoms worse when you medicate to deal with depression, let's say. Right, right. Uh, yeah. And so your dad had this, and presumably it you know had a major impact on your family and and you and raised the question for you about uh, your future, right? Yes, and in particular my my dad's symptoms were oh like fairly significant, but my cousins, who are just five years older than me, wow, they're they're very symptomatic. And so when we would go and visit them, uh, it would just be, um, wow, that's, that could potentially be me. One of my cousins is a, was a nurse for Club Med, and uh, she was just the most sunny disposition, lovely, sparkly woman in the world, chose to not have kids because her dad had had this disease. And when I met her the last time, um, so she is now in a nursing home and has been in a nursing home full-time for about the last five years Uh, So it can be very devastating, yes. Sure. And so when we come back, we'll find out whether you made the decision to get tested and what happened. So after the break, more from Leah Mattinson's incredible story. We're on Facebook along with some of the greatest minds of the world, and that includes you. Visit us on Facebook at Voice America Empowerment. Follow the Voice America Talk Radio Network on Twitter. We're at Voice America TRN. You'll get the latest fix on what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and general happenings that you should know about at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Now you don't have to miss anything when you're away from your home or office. Just go to twitter.com forward slash Voice America TRN or follow along with us at Voice America TRN, the Voice America Talk Radio Network. We're on the cutting edge of social media. Can you keep up? It's time to do all of those things that you always said you'd do in your life. What's stopping you? Is it other people, your environment, fear? What could give you a push? Tune in to Raising the Bar with Amy Bredo. Our show is all about taking risks and turning them into positives and personal gain. We'll help your inner voice speak up and get you out of that comfort zone. Raising the Bar can be heard live every Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. We're on Facebook, along with some of the greatest minds of the world, and that includes you. Visit us on Facebook at Voice America Empowerment. You are tuned in to Master Your Life. To reach Leah Mattinson or her guest, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. Or send an email to Leah. That's L-E-A-H-A at changeyourlife.expert. Now, back to Master Your Life. Welcome back to Master Your Life. I'm co-host Dr. Howard Rankin, and today I'm talking to my co-host, Leah Mattinson, about 
her life journey. Before the break, we heard about her upbringing, which seemed almost idyllic, her drive, and then the specter of a fatal disease hanging over her family when her father is diagnosed with Huntington's disease. And pick up the story from there, Leah. What did Thanks, you do? Howard. Yes. I, so when when my father was uh, diagnosed with Huntington's, the uh, I myself was kind of I, I think I didn't take it very seriously to start with because he had been so excellent throughout his lifespan, and so I never felt fearful of uh, the repercussions or the outcomes of things for probably a, uh, like probably a few years. And then my sister and I were chatting, and she had been worried about it incessantly for about four years. And I, I, that just kind of, I had a light bulb moment with her sitting in a conference room uh, in Charlottetown PEI, just about how uh, much it had affected her. And I was sitting there thinking, there's nothing wrong with me. I'm totally good. And meanwhile, she's thinking she is totally sick. (laughs) So, (laughs) so she, yeah. uh, So genetic testing is the process of genetic testing um, here in Canada. Well, worldwide, actually, the standard is the same for Huntington's disease because um, it's, there's an international protocol because there's no cure. So the protocol is that you need to go for counseling, for genetic counseling for several months. And then you go through uh, all of the cognitive testing and the neuro uh, psych testing, and then they will do a blood draw, and then they test the blood is the final sort of um, check mark that yes, you are in fact um, carrying the genetics for Huntington's. So pre-symptom, you can actually go and get tested to see if you're going to get sick. Wow. So yes, isn't that nice? <laughs> so ninety-five. <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> it's just quite. Um, most people don't go for the testing. I think they. I think uh, in in uh, the U.S. it's ninety five percent of people do not go for genetic testing, and in Canada it's about eighty percent of people do not go for genetic testing. There's a little bit of a change right now because they're um, with um, all of the uh, changes with being able to have babies in different ways. People are doing some. Uh, genetic work around that, I guess, so that couples can have babies that don't have the Huntington gene. But again, okay. ethically, morally, that doesn't necessarily fit for everybody. So a lot of people don't want to know that they are sick. They don't want to know that they're going to get sick. I myself was more of the mindset, well, um, <laughs> probably the more that I know, the better I can um, you know, head, head this thing off. So I was looking at more like the David Goliath scenario of things. Like, how can I how can I get myself um, in a position where I can stone this thing, really? Because <laughs> I wasn't—I'm not interested in being sick. Like that was not part of my identity. <laughs> I'm just like totally not. Uh, and and so the outcome was that I went for the genetic testing. I went through the process of the counseling, and the um, it was very difficult. They ask a lot of difficult questions because they want to make sure that you're in a space to actually hear this news, which in hindsight I think is hilarious because how do you ever really be ready? Right. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. How do you prepare somebody for that? Yeah. Yes, yes. And so I uh, went through the counseling. It ended up taking about eight months, the process. And uh, just from a medical sort of perspective of, of getting this done, they're supposed to be uh, treating a person with kid gloves almost, like a lot of compassion and care and concern as the process goes along. And it, that all is exactly what happened right up until my last, um, the reveal day, as I'll call mm. it. 
<laughs> so the day of the great reveal, uh, I think that, uh, I mean, I was just floored because my doctor was supposed to give me these test results and he just completely dropped the ball. So I was sitting there before the weekend with no uh, test results thinking now I'm going to have to wait for another whole weekend waiting for this stuff and my anxiety, which I usually have completely under control. I was feeling like, I don't know that I can go a whole weekend without knowing the answer. So I phoned, phoned a few friends and called in a few favors and managed to get the test results delivered to another doctor and uh, drove over to his office and I sat down in, his, in the waiting room and he called me in and he just handed me the piece of paper <laughs> and I read it and went, I just remember going, what? <laughs> it said, you have inherited. And then it's like the rest of it I just really didn't even take in because I was so shocked by those first words. And uh, because I really, truly believed that I was, did not. I was not going to be symptomatic. I was not going to be sick, and I was not going to have this thing. Wow. What, do you, what goes through your mind when you get handed a piece of paper that tells you you have a fatal genetic disease? Well, I, it, I was completely blank to start with, probably for... 10 seconds or so. And then I had brought a friend in with me who said, maybe I shouldn't go in by myself. And, I, and when we were originally talking about it, I thought, oh, that's crazy. I don't need any help and support through this because really it's not going to be positive anyway. <laughs> so, so we were sitting there and I looked over at him and uh, he was my cycling partner. So like an athletic workout partner. So we knew he knew me very well, but I just looked over at him and he was just bawling. Um, he knew my kids, and so he knew what this meant for them. And he was just in tears. And so I looked over and I thought, holy, I have to make sure he's okay. <laughs> Typical. So, yeah, yes, I know. Isn't that just so funny? Anyway, <laughs> But I felt very, very, probably uh, within 15 minutes, we left the doctor's office and we were sitting out in the parking lot. And I had actually asked the, because I'm a planner, I asked the doctor for a prescription for Ativan just in case I decided I was going to have a meltdown of some kind. Smart. Very smart. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) So I went across to the pharmacy and I was standing in the pharmacy and I just felt like this waterfall almost as a best describer of the separation between me and everybody else in that place. I thought I am no longer connected. I am having this completely different experience and nobody in the world is where I am right in this moment. Yep. And that's a very lonely feeling, isn't it? Yes. Horribly, horribly. Yeah. Very disconnecting. Um, so I went and got my prescription. I went back out to the parking lot and then that later that afternoon, the kids came home from school. So they would have been 10 and 11 at that time. And I remember just walking down my stairs and, and there, was a, there was a mirror at the top of my stairs so I could see myself as I was walking down to greet them from school. And I just went, Lord, give me the grace to carry this thing with grace. And I was just um, healed, I guess is the best word to use. In that moment, I had the strength to meet my kids. I had the strength to uh, love them, nurture them, uh, share the news in a non uh, terrorizing fashion <laughs> with them. Uh, wow. So there was no chicken little, the sky is falling and oh my God, we're all going to, you know, everyone's going to be sick. So we, uh, there was just no drama. And I, um, yeah, so it was very much a m- moment of reverence in my life or grace. Yes. Yeah, that's, that's, that's incredible. I, you know, 
A lot of people wouldn't be able to do that. Do you know how you were able to do that? I, th- I think because I asked. Yeah. I asked. And, and mm-hmm. I really knew that I absolutely could not navigate this thing on my own. I knew that. So the whole, uh, and I'm not religious, I wouldn't say that, but the spiritual component of this journey um, through life became much more precious and much more real for me in that moment. So um, I do credit my faith to my parents. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, they're very faithful and you know trusting, and anyone who's a farmer would completely understand that <laughs> you need to have some faith. So uh, we were, that's kind of in my cellular structure. Uh, also, though, was uh, understanding that this was far beyond the stretch that my parents um, maybe had taken spiritually, and it just led me on a on a new direction. So, um, some of the things I learned to do to manage the um, disease really are because my complete surrendering to understanding that this is my journey. And so, tell us the ways in which you coped and have coped. Um, with this, what was devastating news, how have you turned that into a blessing in your life? Well, really, really quickly, I got, um, I just had this realization that my training and workouts were no longer going to be about um, just doing it for quote unquote sheer enjoyment. (laughs) So it became much more serious about being dedicated to going to the going to train every day or doing something physical uh, every day, taking care of my nutrition. So I was on a ketogenic uh, diet for probably five years without a cheat day. So wow. putting, your, yeah, putting your body into ketosis is really good for managing neurological um, disorders. So uh, that was awesome. It's also not so awesome when you're always eating that way and you disconnect yourself from other people. So I've, I've come to uh, a better place of balance with that. So I can... Um, put myself into ketosis. There's uh, ketogenic supplements also available that can help you to have ketones in your body. Right. And uh, now, I mean, that's very, very new. Uh, but so, you know, eight years ago when I first got my genetic status, there was no, no such thing unless maybe you were involved in a clinical study of some kind. Uh, so just recently, there's products on the market that can help you to do that. So taking care of nutrition, taking care of my physical wellness, taking care of my um, emotional health, so hanging out with good people, hanging out with positive and optimistic people, and sometimes that's hard when your kids are teenagers. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> sometimes that is at a complete, you know, that's completely at loggerheads. <laughs> so, <laughs> might, might have been your biggest challenge. <laughs> yes, yes it, is. yes, it was actually, for sure. <laughs> and uh, I think, yeah, like just the, I, was, I wasn't a smoker anyway, so that never really played into things. But just being really carefully curating good people to be around, people of good character, people who are low drama, people who uh, had high standards or have high standards for their life, and people who are excited about their lives, uh, just spending lots of time with them and uh, having a good social connection has become uh, more and more important as I get older and older, more and more mature, let's put it that way. <laughs> and, and some of those lifestyle behaviors you're talking about, diet and exercise, also you know, are very much informed by the latest you know, neuroscience stuff about being able to regenerate nerve cells and pathways. Um, and so you, know, you took... The, you know, the latest neuroscience really to heart, right? 
Absolutely, yeah. My my uh, bookshelf, I have a few of uh, Bibles, quote unquote, on my bookshelf that are my go tos for um, like learning and and just remembering how much control I have over things. So, Doctor Norman Doidge is uh, one, and I'm just trying to recall what that book is called. Um, uh, but it, but his book is he's a Canadian author, and his book is about how the mind is neuroplastic. So this idea that we're hardwired is old science, and the, that the truth is that yeah, we can build new neurons. I mean, how exciting is that for somebody who has a neurological problem? So whether that's Alzheimer's or Huntington's or um, Parkinson's or the you know other, there's lots of other neurological um, diseases. And so that's just great news. And so there's specific things within that book that are, are um, explored at universities. So it gives them credibility about how they actually work. Olympians use uh, visualization. And um, so there's, there's those things that are science-based that now have credibility that I think people who were in positive psychology 30 years ago were proponents of. So affirmations. So that's like Louise Hay, you can heal your life. That's a... Uh, something that's been on my bookshelf and I've given to a ton of my clients as well. Um, so the power of positive thinking, uh, the four agreements, um, just about how you're going to live your life and stay uh, true to the things you say you're going to do. Um, yeah, and, and presumably, you know, this this um, d- this development of knowledge, the fact that we can grow neurons and pathways throughout life, Um, presumably that was pretty empowering and encouraging to you, right? Yes, absolutely. The the most empowering and encouraging piece, because then I could do something about it. My brain is my engine. It's just, that's fabulous. Right. And so, you know, you have your diet, you have exercise, and exercise may be the most important thing uh, for people who don't know about neuroplasticity and what's called neurogenesis. Uh, Physical activity seems to be one of the most important variables in developing and keeping new brain cells alive. And and your social connection, what else was there? Um, In general, we'll talk more about that after the break, but, you know, can you itemize them? Uh, I would say uh, the having a really deep uh, spiritual connection also of knowing that whatever the path is, is the path. So even if I do everything 100% right and I'm dedicated and diligent to all of the little tasks on my action checklist. So I ate right today. I got up and did positive affirmations. I you know, um, treated, I did gratitudes for five minutes today. I journaled all of those things. Um, which are things that I do every single day, that even if I do all those things or when I do all those things, if I get sick, that is not because I didn't do what I was supposed to do. It is because that is my path. So there's, that's what keeps me centered, I think, in going, it's my due diligence and my responsibility to take care of my wellness as much as I possibly can and also to look at myself with compassion and go, you're doing everything you can do, and you might not be able to head this thing completely off at the pass. So I need to continue to dig deep to find things of value within myself so that I can continue to have self-respect and self-worth and uh, give other people kind of hope and optimism because that's a big piece of uh, satisfaction in life. Absolutely. So after the break, when we come back, Uh, Hopefully you're going to summarize for us what these life lessons are because there are many in your journey. So join us after the break. 
We're on Facebook along with some of the greatest minds of the world. And that includes you. Visit us on Facebook at Voice America Empowerment. Follow the Voice America Talk Radio Network on Twitter. We're at Voice America TRN. You'll get the latest fix on what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and general happenings that you should know about at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Now you don't have to miss anything when you're away from your home or office. Just go to twitter.com forward slash Voice America TRN or follow along with us at Voice America TRN, the Voice America Talk Radio Network. We're on the cutting edge of social media. Can you keep up? It's time to do all of those things that you always said you'd do in your life. What's stopping you? Is it other people, your environment, fear? What could give you a push? Tune in to Raising the Bar with Amy Bredo. Our show is all about taking risks and turning them into positives and personal gain. We'll help your inner voice speak up and get you out of that comfort zone. Raising the Bar can be heard live every Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. We're on Facebook, along with some of the greatest minds of the world, and that includes you. Visit us on Facebook at Voice America Empowerment. You are tuned in to Master Your Life. To reach Leah Mattinson or her guest, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. Or send an email to Leah. That's L-E-A-H-A at changeyourlife.expert. Now, back to Master Your Life. Welcome back. I'm Dr. Howard Rankin, and I'm talking with my co-host, Leah Mattinson, on Master Your Life. Leah is talking about the experience of being diagnosed with having the genetics for a fatal disorder, Huntington's disease, and what that meant for her, how she dealt with it, and what that really means for all of us when we face difficulties and hardships and how we turn them into blessings. Um, Leah's experience is actually in a book called Silver Linings, published by Balboa Press, and it's going to be available uh, sometime in August. And uh, hopefully you will follow up and get a copy of that because it goes into a lot more detail than we've had time for today. Okay, Leah, so give us the breakdown in terms of what you have learned facing a fatal disease uh, and actually also the potential of your kids facing a fatal disease, what you've learned about how to live life to the fullest. Well, thanks, Howard. I I think that the fundamental... The fundamental uh, pieces for me have, it's like, be happy. <laughs> so you can be a lot of things when you get a diagnosis or you come up against things difficult in life. And I've had lots of difficulties besides the um, the uh, genetic status for Huntington's disease. And maybe I should just clear up for our, our, the listeners. Um, sci- with science says that if you have the genetic factors for Huntington's, you will 100% get it. So I have not been diagnosed with the symptoms of it as of this point. Uh, However, if something else doesn't get me first, science says I'm going to get this. <laughs> so there's no sort of rerouting it according to science. Now, I, I'm trying to prove things uh, right. uh, differently. You could, yeah. You could be the first person to, you know, defeat it, right? Right on. That's exactly right. <laughs> so, so the everyday being happy in a happy place 
I think happiness and love are the place where healing happens. Good sleep and happiness and love are, are critical factors to being uh, well and to healing. Uh, there's also just a few things that slow aging down and uh, cellular death is uh, a result of aging cells. So one of the only way that you can build cells is through increasing muscle mass. So that's another one, not saying that everyone should go to the gym and, you know, pump iron, but, but doing uh, some, you know, body weight resistance sort of exercises to get yourself in a state where you're regenerating cells that are keeping you youthful is a very, really good strategy. And uh, that doesn't take very much, like 10 minutes a day, you can make a really big difference to your life and your lifespan and how your brain functions. Um, so waking up happy, always being grateful. Uh, the... I think that we're dealt things in our life to get mastery. So your lessons might not be exactly the same as my lessons, but they're there for a reason, and it's to help us to grow as human beings. And so I often say when I'm doing my executive coaching uh, for corporations, people get paid on the skill that they do, but they should also get paid on how they do it. So that's often yeah, yeah, a cultural thing. Uh, You can't just show up and... And do your technical thing. You have to show up with what kind of an attitude. Uh-huh. Yeah. So the can-do attitude. The um, I'm happy to help. I want to be collaborative. I'm a good apple. I bring you know wisdom and maturity to people. I say if I don't know something, I say, hey, I don't know that. <laughs> Let's find somebody who knows more than me. And um, so those things. Uh, when you're dealing with anything that's uncertain in your life, just always looking for the next. Uh, lesson or the next learning or the next opportunity to learn something else and to stretch yourself and to expand yourself. Um, yeah. yeah. And, and of course, the neuroscience literature tells us that that's exactly when we literally change our brains, when we go through adversity, when we learn things, when we're challenged, that's when our brains change and adapt. Um, and so it very is, it very much is the case that Adversity is when you change the most and learn the most. Uh, and now we have that confirmation in science that that actually happens in our brains. So, so you know, that, that's very important, I think. Now, there must be times, aren't there, when you get some doubt or sadness or, you know, how do you deal with that? Or perhaps you don't. Uh, no, it's pretty rare. Very, really, I feel sad for my children from time to time because I think, wow, they're gonna, they have a lot of growing to do to get to the place where they're going to feel um, safe and secure. And especially because I already had them, they were already in my life when I found out my genetic status. So they're going to need to figure out their journey, whether or not they're going to go for testing, whether or not they're going to have children, whether or not they're going to tell anybody about the status that they have because it can affect your employment it affects in Canada we don't have any um, non-discrimination laws the states does but we don't in Canada so people can be genetically discriminated against here in Canada so there's people who literally can't practice their profession because they cannot get insurance because they have Huntington's disease in the family so they're forced to go through testing if they want to um, have insurance and it's like a very, um, it's a very interesting place to be or position to be in, I guess. Yeah. So for my kids, they're going to have a lot to navigate through and to figure out. And um, of course, they're still, you know, they're both under 20 years old. And 
Uh, neither one of them is symptomatic at this point. There's juvenile Huntington's disease, which some people are dealing with in their families. Uh, my son is right now in the process of deciding whether or not he wants to go to testing. So he, through testing, he's been to a couple of counseling appointments, and I'm not pushing anything. I'm just kind of um, letting the process unfold as it will because uh, he just needs to make his own decisions, and I'm going to be here to support him. Yeah, and uh, if, you know, for a lot of people, I think there would be the "why me" syndrome. Why did this happen to me? And some, you know, anger and resentment, frustration. You don't seem to have any of that. Uh, no, I just um, probably because my dad doesn't have any. <laughs> he just never, he never ever resented having the disease. I mean, I think, and my dad's very uh, science mathy, so he looks at things like um, more from the position of being curious about everything. So why is that happening? And why is this happening? And my mom's also similar. They're both very intelligent um, people. And they, so if something comes up, they're introspective about it. They come up with a plan. They problem solve it together. And if it doesn't work out, then they make a new plan. So they don't ever, I've never seen my parents throw themselves on the sofa and go, I give up. (laughs) I have never seen that. Not in my entire life. And, and, they have come upon some very hard things, just like all of us with our kids. And um, uh, we were not easy teenagers, my siblings and I. So, you know, they had challenges just like everybody else. And farming's not easy. Uh, life is not easy. I just never saw them. I never saw them bury their head in a bottle of booze to solve a problem. I never, so I never learned any of that maladaptive sort of behavior. So yeah. I feel like I have a real responsibility to not <laughs> to do the same thing, I guess. What does this tell you about how we should live our lives, do you think? Oh, just to be, um, be of good character. And much we've talked about uh, lots, Howard, is that having and developing moral intelligence, um, that that's just so critical. And my parents would certainly not say they were perfect. That's my vision of them. <laughs> <laughs> so they wouldn't say they're perfect. In fact, my mom says she's less perfect now than she's ever been. <laughs> so, and I, we laugh about it, you know, the the things that she wishes that would have turned out better or been different. And I think as parents and as grandparents, because uh, I'm a grandma now also, the, that we have that viewpoint or we get a different perspective of just how human we are and, and that even when we're doing our very best, we're not going to be perfect and that that's why there's these opportunities to say I'm sorry along the way, even to ourselves, and to go, you know what, that, that little span of my life wasn't all that awesome. I, I don't know what I was thinking there, but uh, just having the humility and the self-compassion to understand that we are uh, human and vulnerable, and uh, also to go, it's not an excuse to continue to be offside. Yeah, and, and, you know, those defenses that we all use to manage the difficult things in our life, you know, there's some very adaptive ones that you've been talking about. And, of course, it's very easy to have the maladaptive ones, you know, the denial, the anger, the resentment, the avoiding of responsibility. Uh, all those things make it worse, um, but they're the most comfortable and easy things to do. It's always often seems much harder to do the right thing. But yes. you seem to have been able to do that. Yeah, well, I've had my moments of not. <laughs> so. Well, I wouldn't say you're 100% like that all right. the time, but, but, but I'm 
you know, enough, when as I listen to your incredible story and your resilience, you know, that's what comes across to me. Yes, it's easy to say, well, we need to be gratitude grateful, we need to, you know, be have moral intelligence and so it's easy to say that, but doing it is quite another thing. Yes. Yeah, it absolutely is. Absolutely is. Yeah. It's a, yeah. And it's a struggle for us, I think, uh, in this society right now because we're, we're inundated all the time through media and through um, just our community. Our culture has, has changed so much. Like divorce is just commonplace. We're, you know, almost every show that you see on TV is about how do we be the most uh, awful that we can be really yeah. like, well, so, so it's like, how do I undermine people? How do I humiliate them? How do I lie? How do I, and then making it all okay somehow. So there's, um, I think that I watch my kids and go, they're going to have a really big challenge figuring out what is right versus not right, which was way more apparent and clear for me when I was growing up. I know. I think that's true. I mean, the egocentrism, you know, runs rampant. Um, and we want to do things just for ourselves rather than stepping outside ourselves, um, which is really a much more spiritual way of being. And that's what you're talking about is, is, is spirituality. Yes. Yeah. And so, I definitely differentiate that between the mindset of getting something done and the heart space that you're in. So you can have a mindset that is very determined and goal-oriented and um, you can get a lot of things done. I I have that 100% nailed. The the heart space that you're in, the heart set, is the other half of that equation. It's like, where is your heart? What's your motivation for doing this? That's what I ask myself. Why am I doing this particular thing? Why is it that I am investing this time? Like, is this my ego uh, asking me to do something, or am I being directed? Like when I listen to that intuitive, quieter voice, and then you know, like that, getting direction from that space is a very different journey than just writing out an action plan, which is as a coach, is like an easy thing right. to do. Right. Which brings us nicely to our four minute miracle uh, segment, where we try to take something from the show and turn it into a practical tool for our listeners. So. Um, what would you say in terms of, we, we, you know, we generally on the show ask people to ask themselves the question, you know, who am I and who do I want to be? Um, but from your, your lessons today, what would you like to give the listeners something to do on a daily basis? Well, I think the, uh, I'd love if people would join me in just every morning when you wake up doing this really quick. You can even practice right now as long as you're not driving because <laughs> probably you'll get pulled over or be in an accident. <laughs> if you just, uh, if you just uh, work on getting your head and your heart connected, and part of that's just like stretching your hands over your head, like a nice big stretch, and saying something really positive to yourself about your day. Like, I am energetic I'm magnificent. I'm going to have a wonderful day. I'm a um, gift to the people who come into my presence. I exude love. Yeah, and then and make, to just lock that in. Yeah, to make that a conscious decision to say that and do that, you know, each morning, right? The first thing you do. Yes. And it's really critical that you, yeah, really critical that you connect the physical with the saying something. So just saying it in your head isn't enough. You have to have the physical action to neurologically wire it. That's another little trick. Yep, and there's quite a lot of research on that too, isn't there, combining those two to, to improve that neurological connection. Well, that's, that's fantastic. Thank you 
Leah, for sharing your amazing story. Again, reminder, Leah's book, Silver Linings, uh, Balboa Press, is going to be out in August. And uh, next week we'll be back. Leah, tell us about uh, our guest next week. Oh, I'm very excited, actually. Um, our guest next week is Scott Walker, and Scott is actually uh, has a business called Scott Inside Out. And he has been dealing with uh, bipolar disorder since 2001, and he currently is managing that not on any medications. So he has a wonderful story and a wonderful uh, program to share with listeners who are struggling with any kind of mental health um, problem. And that includes also depression, uh, mental illnesses, how to deal with diagnosis, how, what to believe and what not to believe, those sorts of things. So I'm just really excited that Scott's going to be with us next week. Yeah, and those sorts of that sort of information and practical experience is always very, very helpful because there are many people struggling with those symptoms to different degrees. And to some extent, there is some misinformation out there. And certainly, we can always benefit from better understanding of those symptoms and how to manage them. So, yeah, I'm really looking forward to, to hearing Scott and talking to him uh, next week on Master Your Life, where we hope we today have brought you inspiration, insight, and intelligence. Uh, and for me, Dr. Howard Rankin, and my co-host, Leah Mattinson. Leah, do you want the last word? Goodbye. Have a great week. Thank you for being a part of our show today. Master Your Life with Leah Mattinson can be heard every Tuesday at noon Eastern Time and 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Now, go enjoy your successful life. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.